0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok.
1: So we are in this series where we're looking at the words of wisdom and before we go into the wisdom for this week, I want to say something about the wisdom for next week. Next week we are doing the Song of Solomon, sexiest book in the Bible, and we will be talking about the wisdom of consent and what is beautiful about relationships that are built on consent. But because we will be talking about that, we will also be talking about situations in which consent was not present. There are some among us who have been deeply wounded in spaces where there was a lack of consent. And so I want to give you a warning that we will be talking about that next week in case you need to take some space for yourself and either watch from home or worship God in a different way next week for your own um, boundaries. I just wanted everyone to be aware of that. It's an important topic and it's one we should be talking about, but Um, I just recognize that for pastoral care reasons, some need to know in advance that that is the case. Today, however, we are working with Ecclesiastes, and um, we are going to be talking about the wisdom of limits. And to get in the frame of mind of that, I'm going to share a couple of passages from Ecclesiastes, and these passages basically set up what the project of Ecclesiastes is, and then what the ultimate solution of that project was. So hear now the word of the Lord. I am the teacher. I was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to investigate and to explore by wisdom all that happens under heaven. It's an unhappy obsession that God has given to human beings. When I observed all that happens under the sun, I realized that everything is pointless, a chasing after wind. There's nothing better for human beings than to eat, drink, and experience pleasure in their hard work. I also saw that this is from God's hand, who can eat and find enjoyment otherwise. Because God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please God. But to those who are offensive, God gives the task of hoarding and accumulating, but only so as to give it all to those who do please God. This too is pointless and a chasing after wind. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So what are the limits of this life? Well, to set up that frame, I think it's important for us to reflect on how people understand the life beyond here, or even if they do. So in 2021, the Pew Research uh, Organization did a study about Americans and the afterlife. What do we believe about the afterlife? 17% of Americans do not believe in the afterlife, period. They do not believe one exists at all. 38% of Americans don't believe in hell. 27% of Americans don't believe in heaven, including 12% of mainline Protestants, which means roughly every 10th person in here does not believe in heaven. Now, why am I bringing this up besides talking about the limits on this life? Well, I bring it up because it really deeply relates to Ecclesiastes and what the project of Ecclesiastes is. It's important for us to remember that in most of the Old Testament, with the possible exception of Daniel, in most of the Old Testament, they do not have a robust understanding of the afterlife. In fact, all that they understand the afterlife to be is Sheol. And some of you may have come across Sheol in the Psalms and in the Proverbs and other places. Um, It's been mentioned. They understood the afterlife to be Sheol. And Sheol was simply this. You died and you became a shadow. You did not interact with your family. You didn't even retain your personality. You were just a shadow. And everyone went to a shadow place where they were shadows. And it didn't matter if you were a good person or a bad person, everyone went to Sheol. And that drives the project of this book, because when you don't have an understanding of the afterlife, then everything that happens in the life that we know here is what matters. And so this teacher, Kohelet, um, that's the name of the book in Hebrew, uh, this teacher, often associated with Solomon, is investigating and exploring wisdom in the face of this life being translated as meaningless, pointless, vanity, meaning in vain, chasing after wind. In Hebrew, the word is Abel, or we might know it as Abel, as in Cain and Abel. And Abel's name means vapor. Sidebar. Pro-tip, if you want your kid to hang around, maybe don't name them Vapor. <laughs> he was probably doomed from the get-go, right? So it, it's this idea of chasing after when it says all of life is just, is there any meaning to it whatsoever? Uh, I was just in, in a Bible study, in the pastor's Bible study right before here, and one of the, the people said, this guy just seems depressed. And he does seem a little depressed, um, but what he's doing is facing this reality of what is the point of life. And if the point of life can only happen in this plane, those questions have to be answered in the here and now. And as we have more and more people in our world who are rejecting this idea of an afterlife, this anxiety is going to rise up. And it's anxieties of purpose. What is the the value of life? What's the meaning of life? So it's anxieties of purpose. But it is also anxieties around justice. Because you have to ask this question if it is not the case that good things only happen to good people and bad things only happen to bad people, so how do we get this all evened out here on Earth? And so this author, this teacher, Koheleth, decides to experiment with things. Now if this really was Solomon, Solomon had access to a lot of resources and so he had access and the ability to actually do these experiments. Because what he wants to do is experiment with the excess of as many things as possible. Let's push everything to the excess and see if there is meaning in it. And what he found is that everything that he pushed to the excess was hollow. Hollow. So I'm going to share a little bit of what he learned. One of the things that he pushed to the excess was appetite. It's not about weight. It's appetite for all things so, this is mass consumption. And it's mass consumption of alcohol, of drugs, of food, whatever you can mass consume. He is testing the limits of this mass consumption of this. And what he finds is that in mass consumption, when you have unchecked appetite, you will never be filled. You will never be filled. There will never be enough to fill you up. You will have to have more, and have to have more, and have to have more. So there is no joy in that. In fact, it just creates greater trauma, and greater loss, and greater need. Which leads into this next experiment where he looks at the realms of wealth and work, right? So wealth, to gather as much wealth as you can, and then to gather as much stuff with that wealth as you can, is also unchecked accumulation. And like unchecked appetite, there is never enough. There is always more to have, and so you will never reach your goal. So it will always be frustrating, and it will always be hollow. It's very interesting that in Ecclesiastes, the writer actually says that accumulation of goods and wealth is proof of God's curse on your life. The more you have, the more cursed you are by God. And and that flies in the face of so many that proclaim the prosperity gospel that says, you know, the more stuff that you have is proof of God's blessing. No, Ecclesiastes says the reverse of that. It's proof of God's curse on your life because it is not a filling and fulfilling way of being. It robs you of fulfillment and it robs you of the joy of generosity of giving away because you're accumulating. You effectively are buried alive by stuff and misery. Which is interesting, is that's not the usual understanding of justice like I just talked about, that if you do good, you get good things, and if you do bad, you get bad things. And Ecclesiastes flips that on its head and says, no, that's not what is proof of a good life, of a meaningful life. Which he then adds in on work. Because if work is in part to aid accumulation, then it is just adding to that disease. But also there's a danger that too much work is done to try and prove our worth. People who work too much are either trying to accumulate too much or they are trying to prove their worth in what they do. And our culture supports this. How many of you, when you introduce yourself, you say your name and you tell people what you do? that's what we're supposed to do in this culture, right? But the problem here with either case to aid in accumulation or to prove our worth is that if we need all of this excess, that's proof of our lack of faith in God to provide. That we won't even take the Sabbath because we don't even trust that God will provide for us on that one day a week. And if we focus too much on what we do, that's a lack of belief that we are loved for who we are. And we are loved for who we are. The, the last big experiment that this author does, and this one hits me hard, um, which is to look at the excess of seeking understanding and study, wisdom, words, and ability. Because he recognizes that knowledge is power and prestige. And there is some good in it. Remember that Solomon, when Solomon could, could be given anything by God, he asks for wisdom. And God respects that and admires that and actually meets Solomon with wealth because of it. And so there is some good in wisdom and understanding and study and all of that. And even the way we are built. Did you know that learning something new creates the exact same high as taking cocaine or gambling. I mean, that's pretty cool. (laughs) You know, that you can just learn something new and get that high, except that just like cocaine and gambling, it can become addictive. And then, We feel like we have to learn more and more and gather more information and know more and do all, gather, 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 gather. Except, I don't know about y'all, we have access to more information than any time frame in humanity has ever had access to. And has it made us happier? Anybody feel happier by all the information that is constantly thrown at us? There is, a, there is a new syndrome called Information Overload Syndrome. Would you like to know the symptoms of Information Overload Syndrome? Poor decision making, memory loss, stress and anxiety, low productivity, short attention span, and lack of self-confidence. And Ecclesiastes warned us about this, warned us that this was a, this was a possibility with too much knowledge, too much wisdom. With regards to the lack of self-confidence piece, Ecclesiastes tells us that it's a lie that we're supposed to be good at everything. It's a lie. We are not supposed to be good at everything. It is also a lie that we should be liked by everyone. Because we won't be. Because, honestly, it says in there, you don't like everybody. Why would you expect everybody to like you? All right? And basically what this points to is that, you know, if, if I was good at everything, would I need y'all? <laughs> Except to show off to, right? Um, if you were good at everything, would you need us? No. We are meant to not be good at everything, to not know everything, to not have everything, so that we could rely on each other and lean on each other and love each other, even if we don't always like each other, right? We were warned that too many words make us fools. And in much wisdom is much aggravation, the more knowledge, the more pain. That quote from Ecclesiastes, when I was a junior in high school for the AP English grammar test, I had to write an essay that said, there is a quote in Ecclesiastes, in much wisdom is much aggravation, the more knowledge, the more pain. Do you agree with that statement or not? And I did not agree with that statement when I was a junior in high school and going off to get eventually four degrees. Um, Now I would disagree with my junior self, right? Because I've seen that just sometimes it's too much. It's too much. Because limits really are not bad things. Limits create a distinction. Between us and God, because the only being ever created that could handle no limits is God. And we're not God. Thank God. The other thing is that limits create purpose in having community. Because we have limits, we have need for one another. Because we have limits, we seek community. We seek help. We seek companionship. We seek guidance. It helps us to live in our created purpose of loving God and loving neighbor. Our limits are a gift to us because they gift each other to us. And that leads to the ultimate answer in Ecclesiastes. Eat, not to excess. Drink, not to excess. Find purpose in your work, not to excess. And then... Lean on God and each other. In other words, make time for the people you love. Make time to do what you love and to be who you are and to love that person. And make time for the God you love. I'm going to say that again because I think it's important. Make time for the people you love. Make time to do what you love and to be who you were created to be. And make time for the God you love. That, my friends, is a life well lived. It doesn't really matter what comes next. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Sermon Podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at FUMCBentonville.org or on Venmo at FUMCBentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin economic station and political ideology we come together in action and outreach aspiring to follow jesus's example for radical hospitality love and grace as a transformative movement in our community please join us for worship on sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m both in person and on facebook live all are welcome and we'd love to have you with us grace and peace